0: reading from Matthew chapter 18 then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times Jesus answered I tell you not seven times but seventy-seven times therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay, so Matthew eighteen twenty
1: one to 35. Let's keep our Bibles open where they are, if you have them opened, and um, explore this passage. Now, before Anita and I got married about 11 years ago, we had some marriage counseling sessions with a very, very wonderful couple. We were taught many things, but one I will never forget is one that's on conflict resolution and forgiveness. You know, the, well, it was a couple. So the man who actually taught, I I have forgotten so many things, to be honest. But he talked about how, you know, we can forgive and he gave us levels of conflict and, and forgiveness. That I have never forgotten. The lesson I learned on forgiveness has helped me in my relationship with Anita, with the kids, and with many other people. Christianity is built on the foundation of forgiveness. Without God's forgiveness, there is no way we could call ourselves children of God or Christians. And also, we as Christians can't live a victorious Christian life without forgiving others. And we'll see why in this passage. Now, the thing is, being humans, we will always offend someone. And someone will always offend. It, it will happen. It's inevitable. To us, it's human. So we will always have that situation with us. So the question, therefore, is how do we deal with these offenses and forgive? And forgive. Now, before we look at the passage, it's good to have a bigger context of what's going on in Matthew 18. So the whole chapter of Matthew 18 actually addresses this question, this question of how do we deal with, with offenses. The chapter starts with a very simple question in Matthew 18, 1, which says, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, you know, the d- d- disciples were debating and they were asking Jesus who the greatest was. And so to answer the question, Jesus uses different parables and l- various lessons to teach them. And one of them was in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, which is the few verses before our passage today. Now. In those few verses, Jesus says that if anyone offends you, have an open discussion with them. And as Jesus says in that passage, if you look it up um, between Matthew 18, 15 to 20, 20, he says, point out their faults. Go and have an open discussion. Point out their faults to them. And then he says, if they don't listen, go with two others. And if they don't listen to the two others, then tell it to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, then, you know, refuse to treat them as Christians. So treat them as unbelievers, treat them as people who don't have the faith because they are unrepentant. Now, this process is particularly suitable for unrepentant people, okay? So it gives that process, which is slightly different from what we are going to talk about today. But you can see that that whole passage talks about offenses and forgiveness and how we should let things go and how we should deal with these things. In our passage today, Peter wants to know how many times he should forgive a brother or sister, usually someone who is close, because they usually offend them well, more frequently, isn't it? People who are closer to you will offend more frequently. So Peter wants to know how many times, Jesus, should I forgive um, these relations of mine? Should it be seven times? Now, we have to know this, that in those days, the rabbis used to say that if a man offends you once, forgive him. If a man offends you twice, forgive him. If a man offends you three times, forgive him. But if a man offends you the fourth time, don't forgive him. So I believe Peter actually felt, you know, he was being generous in even saying seven times. But Jesus' response was not a pat on Peter's back, you know, for being so generous. Actually, I believe that Peter was shocked by Jesus' response. Now, this is like, a child who comes back from school, excitedly goes to the mother and says, mommy, mommy, I had seven out of three in my test today. The mom is like, how did you get seven out of three? And the child would be like, oh, well, the teacher gave us three questions. I answered all the three, but I did them so well, the teacher decided to add, you know, uh, four more uh, marks. And then the mother looks at this child and says, well, you know what? I think your teacher got it wrong. There should be 400 questions. Now you can see that disappointment in the child's face, thinking, oh, I've done so well, and then, you know, realizing actually it's, it's, it's nowhere near what needs to be done. That disappointment could probably be what Peter, <laughs> Peter felt, you know. Oh, man, seven times. It's very, very generous. Why did Jesus say that? Um, it, sh- it shouldn't be. Now, whether you believe it's 77 or 470 times, I think what Jesus is driving home here is it should be unlimited. It should be numerous. It should should, should just go on. You should should never cease forgiving. Because if you're going to count 77 times a person offends you on on a single issue, I mean, how are you going to live? You're going to live your life always counting numbers. So it's more like unlimited number of times. We need to forgive every time. It should, shouldn't be capped so now Jesus has answered Peter's question forgiveness must be unlimited now you would have thought that you know that's the end of it Jesus let's move on to the next topic but no Jesus wanted to spend some more time on this issue so he gives a parable he uses the parable of the kingdom about about of, of the of kingdom principles about forgiveness to actually drive home his main point. Now, I want us to explore this parable in three main sections. God's forgiveness, man's unforgiveness, and man's true, yeah, man's true forgiveness. So God's forgiveness. It was Christmas Eve in 2006 in the USA. A man was looking forward to a wonderful Christmas the next day with his family, or oh, that day with his family. Certainly, the family car he was in with his family, they they had gone shopping, they were getting back home. Their vehicle was then um, hit by an intoxicated, illegal immigrant who had no license. How worse could that be? He lost his family and he lost two of his children in the crash instantly. Would you expect this man to forgive or not forgive? Now, this is an extreme case. We may not face this sort of incident in our lives, but coming down to even the very simple things in our lives, should we forgive or not forgive? Now, oh, let's look at Jesus' parable for answers to this question. In verse 23, we are told that a certain king or a certain master decided to settle accounts with his servants. So a man was brought to him who owed a thousand bags of gold now let's put things in perspective in our day if a laborer is paid 80 pounds per per day that is you know the laborer works let's say eight hours a day and is paid 10 pound per hour that's 80 pounds per day so if that's a laborer's pay then a bag of gold is 20 years salary so that would be about four hundred and sixteen thousand. so 400k roughly so it means that seven, actually, in my crude estimation, owing a thousand bucks of gold would be almost four trillion. Well, again, it's just my estimation. Now, many nations will struggle to pay that debt. That, 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 that is a debt some nations, you know, would really struggle to pay. How much less an individual. But let's look at what he says in verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered him that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So even if he was sold, his family were sold, and all they had were sold, to be honest, I don't think it would, it would be peanuts, to be honest, compared to what he actually owed. Now this servant, knowing he was in trouble, begs his master to forgive him. And what I find insulting it's what he says in verse 26. Look at verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Really? You would pay back everything? To be honest, even if he had a thousand years to live and he worked for a thousand years, not, not even a thousand, actually, hundred thousand years, that wouldn't pay half of what he owed. And who lives a hundred thousand years anyway? So it, 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 there was no way he was, he was going to pay back everything. Absolutely no chance. But how did the master respond to that? Let's look at verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. He took pity on him, he cancelled the debt, I believe all the debt, and just let him go, free. Free. Amazing. What a compassionate master. So merciful. Now the question I want you to think about is this. How did an individual owe so much? How is that possible? How is that possible? I was looking up Statistica uh, yesterday and it said UK's government debt reached 2.2 trillion in June, just June 2021, 2.2 trillion in the government debt. Now if that's what a nation owes, how can an individual owe a debt that is almost double the UK's government debt? Dear friends, what Jesus is teaching us here is that the debt caused by our waywardness and our sins and the, and, the, and the wrongs we do and how we turn away from God are far more than we could ever pay and far more than we can ever think. Far more than we can ever think. See, God is so holy. He is so holy to the point that even the righteousness we try to attain in our own strength, the, the, the best good deed we could ever do, is like a filthy rag before him. Now, if our righteousness or the best deeds we we want to do are like filthy rags before him, how much less are our our sinful ways and our sinfulness? And the thing is, we've all transgressed. We've all done something wrong. We've all gone contrary to, to, to what God wants at one point or another. So how can we be righteous by ourselves? There's no way we can be righteous. So we can attain that righteousness, which is even like a filthy rag before him in our own strength. And one more thing, God does not trivialize sins as we do, or wrongdoings as we do. You see, we think that adultery is weightier than pornography, don't we? Usually, if someone commits adultery, we think, oh, that's, that's, that's the worst thing. But pornography in your room, oh, that's a small sin. But no, not with God. To God, they are the same. <clears throat> the Bible says if we look lustfully at someone, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart if you're, if, 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 if you're married. And also rebellion, rebellion is like witchcraft, the Bible says. And also whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's what the Bible says. So you can see God doesn't even trivialize sin the way we do and categorize them and, you know, put them in all these big sin, small things, white light, black light, green light, blue light. He doesn't do that. So you can quickly see how our simple, small, sinful ways can actually amount to so much before God. Very, very easily. Very, very easily. We owe God far more than we could ever pay. And all the wrongs we've done amount to far more than our minds can comprehend, than we can calculate. And that is the truth. So when God holds us to account and reveals to us the weight of our sinful ways, we will be found wanting we will be shocked. We will realize that we are like that servant who realized he owed far more than he thought. This is why God has chosen to have pity on us. And God is merciful and he does have pity. God has chosen to have pity on us and to cancel the debt and let us go. This is the good news. This is what Christianity is all about. God sends Jesus his only sinless son, no offense, no sin in him, to die on the cross and to rise again. Jesus paid our sins once and for everyone who comes to him. His sacrifice was sufficient. Nothing needs to be done to add to what Jesus did. And Jesus rose from the grave, and that's not the only thing. He intercedes on our behalf today. He's interceding on behalf of the saints. What a love. What, what sort of love is this? That God has chosen to have pity on us, to cancel every single debt, and to not just let us go, but to adopt us as his children. We can come to him. We just said the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, he calls us his children. He calls us in to be his children. What love is this? This is good news. That's why Christianity is different from many other faiths all other faiths. Jesus is the only God who humbles himself to pay for the sins of his followers. He doesn't stand aloof and say, work harder, do some more. No, he gets his hands muddied and goes down and pays for the sins of his people. Because of his finished work, we can be forgiven all our sins. Now dear friends, this is the forgiveness we can receive when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you have not put your faith in Jesus yet, would you consider God's holiness, how holy he is? And would you consider your sinfulness, how sinful you are? And would you consider the debts of your sins? And would you rather go to him and put it before him and take on his righteousness, which is take on what Jesus has rather done for us so that we can be forgiven. We have no power to pay for the penalty of our sins. We don't have the strength to do that. We don't have the capacity to do that. And even if we should work the whole of eternity, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. It will never surface. So let's have that faith in Jesus so that we can be forgiven. And of course, we can be forgiven and be forgiven so much, but the thing is, if we are forgiven so much, what does that mean to us and others? How do we react to others when they offend us? And that takes us to the second part of our story and the second part of the point, man's unforgiveness. The Fester Institute conducted a survey over a decade ago in America to investigate love and forgiveness in the American community. Uh, now They took a small, you know, about a thousand participants, so it might not be a very good represent, you know, yeah, show how everybody reacts, but it gives us a very good picture of people's reaction towards love and forgiveness in America. Now, from the results, it's emerged that most participants agreed that they need forgiveness in their personal lives, in their communities, in their country, and in the world. However, what I found interesting about that survey was that some believed that specific offenses like murder and abuse and sexual crimes and intentional crimes should against individuals should not be forgiven. I, I, I'm thinking, how can you say we really need forgiveness, but again say that, you know, yeah, we can forgive some, but we shouldn't forgive some. That, <laughs> that is quite interesting now again that is also not what our passage teaches today but that idea has become so common if you look at movies like equalizer and and john wick and 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 a few other movies they promote vengeance and revenge and you know all that which is do not forgive give people back what they deserve but actually, that, that, that's, that's not quite what our passage is teaching us and not the mindset God wants us to have. So from verses 28 to 34 of our passage, this same servant who had been forgiven so much went out and met someone who owed him a hundred days wages, which I believe he says um, here that someone owed him, was it, yeah, a hundred silver coins, which was about 100 days wages. Again, if you go back to my estimation, which is if a labor works 10 pounds an hour, eight hours a day, then 100 days wages would be, you know, um, 8K. So compare that 8K to 8 tri- uh, to, 4 tri- to 4 trillion, that, that, that's, that's mind blowing. And that amount actually someone could pay back, you know. Now again, the focus here is not on my estimation, because it's just my estimation, but it's on how insignificant the amount was compared to how much he owed. Now, let's look at how he treats this other servant who owed him peanuts relatively. Let's look at verse 28. He grabbed him and began to choke him to pay back what he owed. Say, <laughs> said, pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. Wow, choking him to the point of choking him and dragging him to the court. Now this fellow also knelt down and asked for patience till he could pay back now have you realized that their reactions are the same the first servant pled with he knelt down and pled with his master that's the king and the master forgave this other servant also knelt down and pled saying look have patience with me and i'll pay you back and actually he could have paid back you know he could pay back It's, it's, it's it's an amount you could pay back so they both did the same thing but the reactions were different. But this time this wicked guy refuses it is as if he had forgotten that he was in a worse situation few moments ago For- totally forgotten about that and he refuses to forgive this um, this other guy and in verse 30 we are told that he threw the man into prison until he could pay the debt what wickedness now that my friends i think is is the worst thing this man did now, remember that he, his family, and all they had were to be sold. And if you are to be sold, of course, you, you would still have some freedom. You know, you could still do some work and, 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 and do a few things. But he decided to throw this man into prison. If you put someone in prison, what, what, what freedom do they have? There is no chance of them even working to pay back. To prison until he paid everything he owed that is so wicked that is so cruel that is inhuman I can't even imagine it having been so forgiven, so much but holding someone to the neck and throwing the person in prison till he pays giving him no opportunity to pay this is why in verse 31 when the other servants saw what was happening they were outraged they were disgusted they were grieved they were upset they were distressed and they reported this master to his ser- this servant rather to his master and what did the master do when he heard that he also got outraged and called him a wicked servant for what he did didn't leave it there but actually he said he was wicked because he did not treat others with mercy just as he had received He did not treat others with mercy as he had received. Now, because of this, he was also handed to the jailers, you know, well, I'll I'll say the ombudsman, to be tortured, which means, you know, to put pressure on him and his family until they paid everything they owed. What a story. What a story. Now, my dear friends, the lesson here is we have been forgiven so much when we put our faith in Christ. So much. So much so we have to forgive we have to forgive the offenses people cause us is nothing compared to how much we have been forgiven absolutely nothing you're comparing a few thousands to trillions basically nothing forgiveness does not mean we should gloss over sin I think it's good to clear that up no, it doesn't mean gloss over sin, it doesn't mean we shouldn't condemn sin every time we should. When things are wrong, we should say they are wrong and we shouldn't sweep them under the carpet and let things go. But what forgiveness is, is to actually not begrudge and not hold bitterness in our hearts when we're offended. And wanting the person to wanting to see the person punished and pained and and and, 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 and in suffering. Also, forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. For example, if a driver breaks my driving, if another driver breaks my driving mirror, I may forgive them, but of course, they, they have to fix it. They have to fix it. Again, if a high school child bullies another child, it doesn't mean um, if they are forgiven, they won't have to serve detention. They may serve detention, but they may still be forgiven. You know, look, the other child may say, I have forgiven you what you've done, but still, you know, there may be detention, there may be consequences. Now, when we find ourselves praying for an offender without animosity in our hearts, then we can say we have we forgiven or we are on the way there. And there is a perfect example in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse 60, where Stephen, while he was being stoned to death, prayed for those who were stoning him. Amazing. What a heart, what a spirit that is. Now there is a quote that says that. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that it was you all along. While I was preparing for this sermon, I came across various articles from some of the world's leading medical schools about scientifically proven benefits of forgiveness. And I was blown away because, as we know, sometimes these scientists or these um, researchers don't like to go-near things around you know psychological things and 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 forgiveness and prayer and all that but actually world-leading medical schools a lot of them actually i saw were talking about this and there is a quote from the john hopkins medicine website which i'm going to read out now it says whether it's a simple spot with your spouse or long-held resentment towards a family member or friend unresolved conflicts can go deeper than you realize It may be affecting your physical health. The good news. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And stress. So apart from the health consequences of, not forgiving what the passage warns us about I think particularly here apart from the health is the spiritual consequence as well of course there are consequences if when we don't forgive let's look at verse 34 it says in anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed now what do you think would happen to fish, when you take it out of fish tank, what do you think will happen to plants when you take them out of soil? We humans find our life or we find life and meaning in God. If God should treat us that way, give us out to the jailers, take us away from his presence, take us away from him so that one is tortured by the jailers until they are paid, which is There'll be pressure on you to pay back what you owe as well. If God should treat us that way, we find ourselves out of our source of life. Out of our source of life. And what does that mean to us? It means life would get tough. Who, who knows? It could be now, physically, or even eternally. Now, I'm sure that we know the Lord's Prayer very well. We just recited it this morning, or I I, I, I recited it this morning, or prayed it, I would say, this morning. And there is a line in there that says, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive our debtors or others who sin against us. Anytime we say the Lord's Prayer, what we're actually saying is, Lord, if I don't forgive, do not forgive me, which goes back to we will not be forgiven, and so we would also have to have pressure on us to pay back what we owe. The Bible has been, well, I would say is unequivocal about this. It's said in so many places, it does not matter who you are, it doesn't matter whether you're a priest or a prisoner, it doesn't matter whether you're a royal or a rebel, God does not condone the sin of unforgiveness and that's it, <clears throat> excuse me, we all. Are in the same boat here we have to forgive looking at how much we have been forgiven colossians three, thirteen summarizes this and gives us the take home message and he does it so beautifully and this is what he says i'm going to read it bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you ha- has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man's forgiveness compared to God's forgiveness is nothing by the way. What we do, the, 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 the efforts we have to put in to forgive others is absolutely nothing compared to what God has done for us. Therefore, we have to forgive. We have to always remember that we've been forgiven so much. I've said this so many times now. i keep saying it because it's easy to hear But when it comes to practice, sometimes it's not that easy. Forgiveness is not just a matter of saying, I forgive you. No, there is far more to that. It must be from the heart and it must be backed by action. So that takes us to our final point today, forgiveness from the heart. One thing Nelson Mandela is known for is his his, his practical approach to forgiveness. In the early 90s, he was released... From prison after being maltreated for twenty seven years <clears throat> Excuse me. Some people were actually disappointed at Mandela for not resenting his white oppressors because he actually even invited them to his inauguration as honoured guests. So people were really happy. They were like, no, you should you should, you should really resent them and and and, and, and treat them differently. Now, Mandela's philosophy was not to give room to resentment. So one of his quotes says that resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. So he didn't allow resentment in in, in his heart. Some people see forgiveness from the heart as an act of weakness. But that's not true. That's not true at all. It is actually strength. Let's look at our last verse. Our last verse, verse 35 says, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. that's That's what I'm going to focus on today or right now, from your heart, forgiving from the heart. More and more resentment and unforgiveness are being justified in some sense. People are not forgiving others from their hearts. This was prophesied in 2 Timothy 3, 3, which says that, you know, in the last days people will be unforgiving. So unforgiveness is one of the traits of, these, of this generation or these days. Now it is very common to hear people say that they have forgiven an offender, but you see that they are so punitive and they ostracize offenders in a resentful way. Now this, my friends, is not forgiveness from the heart. It couldn't be. Forgiveness from the heart will condemn sin, yes. It will acknowledge that some offences have consequences and punishments, yes. But it does not place punishment above reconciliation with and restoration of the offender. It doesn't, it doesn't look at the evil things that should happen to the offender, but it rather looks for reconciliation and restoration. In a conflict-averse culture, people tend to cover up the small relational offences, which is very typical in our relationships in homes and in churches. They pretend to have forgiven, but deep within, they may not have actually forgiven. Now, the worst case is when the offender doesn't even know that they have offended. I have seen situations where people assume that other people have offended them, But the offender doesn't even know, has no clue that they have offended. And they are going about safely, but this person is hurting and is just covering it up and assuming this person knows and has deliberately hurt me. Surely, this is also not forgiveness from the heart. You can just sweep over it and gloss over it and smile at them, but deep within, you're hurting within. Surely, that's that's not forgiveness from the heart. We have to le- learn to let small offenses go. Yes, we can't be picky about every single offense. There are some offenses I think we should grow and le- learn to let them go. But when you realize you are still hurting from these offenses, we have to open up. We have to have an open discussion. That's why I started the sermon by looking at Matthew and, 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 and Matthew 18. The whole chapter is about offenses. And we talked about how Jesus said we should approach it. You know, we should forgive all the time, but there's a process to actually approach um, um, to have this conflict resolved. Have an open discussion. We have to learn to have an open discussion. Forgiveness from the heart seeks an open discussion and makes no excuses for why reconciliation should not be held. That's forgiveness from the heart. In today's world, it's very easy for everyone to know everybody's business. It's very easy for us to pick up other people's offences through the internet of course. Now, People who have not been offended can now condemn other offenders, They, they have not been offended, other people have been offended, but they can now condemn other offenders because we live in a very small world now. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't join hands and hearts with other people who are suffering or going through pain or who are being abused, we should. but we shouldn't have a bitterness on other people's behalf that's what i'm trying to say within the past few years we have seen how people have publicly shown hatred and resentment in the name of of solidarity now let me give an example when you hear that a politician has flouted a rule he made for everyone including him do you get resentful or bitter i'm not saying we shouldn't condemn it we should condemn it but we shouldn't harbor that bitterness towards them or resentment towards them. It's not, it's not our place. We shouldn't, yes, we should condemn it, but in our hearts, we shouldn't wish them evil, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. It is bitterness and it's not to be in our hearts. And as I've said again, of course, we should condemn hypocrisy and double standards of some politicians, but bitterness should not have a place in our hearts. The church must be a community that forgives from the heart and that requires considering how much we have been forgiven and then being patient with others. We have to be patient, dear friends. We have to consider that if we are given the motive, the power, the opportunity other offenders have, we may even do worse. We have to be forgiven. I'm not saying again we should gloss over, no, but in our hearts. We don't have to let resentment and bitterness grow. We have to be forgiving and patient. Jesus commands us to love our enemies. What a world it would be if everyone was forgiven by God and everyone forgave others from their hearts. Now in conclusion, let's go back to the man who lost his wife and two kids in the car crash. Before the offender was sentenced in court, this man forgave the the offender and then later on after, after the proceeding and everything he said that the offender who had at that point repented and he saw that he had repented he said if that offender was freed okay if the offender was freed he would gladly walk out of the court arm in arm with the offender wow arm in arm with the offender who killed his wife and two kids because the guy had repented who was happy to walk arm in arm with him. This is forgiveness from the heart. But you see, this man's forgiveness fades when you consider that of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when you consider what he did on the cross. Jesus did not only forgive those who crucified him. He forgives you. He forgives me. He forgives the billions who have been before us, the billions who will be after us we, when we put our faith in him, have received so much forgiveness. So we have to learn to forgive. We have been forgiven so much. We have to learn to forgive. And forgive everyone from our hearts every time. This is the cross. This is the main lesson of our passage today. Now let me end our our, 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 our talk with A letter from Paul to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ's. God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let us pray briefly. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the power in your word to instruct us. Lord, we acknowledge that in our daily relationships we have issues or we have situations where we may have to forgive people. Now, I pray, Lord, would you help us to see how much we have forgiven? We have been forgiven, so we can forgive others. If there is anyone hearing my voice today who is struggling to forgive someone an offence, Lord, who has really been struggling, first of all, I want to thank you that you don't leave us to do things in our own strength. You give us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life you want us to live. Would you, Lord, please encourage and help such people to tap on the power through your Holy Spirit to let go because we know that there are so many consequences of not forgiving, health-wise, spiritually, and so on. Would you help us to be really loving people, people who let things go, and would you help us grow to the point that, Lord, we would put to practice what we've learned today. These we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.